What does true wellness mean to you? I'm Claudia Cometa, and that is the question I will be leading with in the Minding Wellness podcast. Each and every week, I will bring you experts who will share their personal wellness journeys and their insights into what it means to mind our wellness. Health is a state of body. Wellness is a state of being. Let's dive into improving our state of being. A quick reminder before we get started with this episode that if you are looking for some at-home options to strengthen, lengthen, and tone your muscles, oxofitness.com, that's A-U-X-O-Fitness.com, has a great variety of bar exercises of varying lengths to fit right in your day. Again, that's oxofitness.com. Now to our episode. This week on the Minding Wellness Podcast, I am so truly honored to bring you Andrea Wilson-Woods. She is a writer who loves to tell stories and a patient advocate who founded the nonprofit Blue Fairy, the Adrian Wilson Liver Cancer Association. Andrea is the CEO and co-founder of Cancer University, a for-profit social benefit digital health company. With Cancer U, Andrea synergizes her talents of coaching, writing, teaching, and advocacy. For over 10 years, Andrea worked in the education field as a teacher and professor for public and private schools as well as universities. Andrea obtained her master's degree in professional writing from the University of Southern California. Her nonfiction writing has won national awards. I recently, prior to this podcast recording, read Andrea's book, which is Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days, all about the journey that she and her sister went through with cancer. And it is so emotionally packed and inspirational that I often had to put it down. And we talk about that in this episode, that in a really good way, you felt like you were joining them on the journey and living the entire adventure with them through all the emotions, all the feelings, all the realities of being ill and the medical system and all that it entails. So I highly recommend that you consider that book. We talk about that in this episode, her journey through that and the work that she is doing subsequent to her sister's passing. I hope you find many insights in this episode. Enjoy. All right. I could not be more honored to be here today with Andrea Wilson-Woods. I learned of her story and it is so impactful. I was just telling her I'm about 60% of the way through her book and it's it's just beyond. It's just packed with so much emotion. And I was telling her, I think that's why I haven't finished yet because it's so, it's so emotionally charged in a really good, deep way that it's almost like I can't, I can't, I need the time to get through it in the right way. So I have so appreciated it. We will dive into the whole story and we'll get, we'll get there. I promise. But thank you so much for being here with me today, Andrea. Oh, thank you for having me, Claudia. All right. So let's get started with, before we dive into all of the details of your journey, let's start with what I ask all my podcast guests, which is what does true wellness mean to you? Well, I want you to know that I always prepare for podcast interviews. And so I've listened to a number of your episodes and I've really been thinking about this and, um, and I keep coming back to the same answer. Um, and I break it up. So true is what is true for you. Um, you know, who, who are you? Uh, what do you want to be or what do you want to do? What do you want to have in your life? And also knowing that your truth will change over time and being okay with that. And then 
wellness to me is learning how to take care of yourself. And I think especially women, we take care of everyone else before we take care of ourselves. And I know that I didn't really appreciate the importance of self-care really until my late thirties. I didn't really understand how important that was beyond like washing my face and taking off my makeup and the occasional bath, which I genuinely love. Um, and now I have routines in place and rituals and I make sure that I take care of myself physically, but also emotionally and spiritually and intellectually. So important. Well, first I love that you prepared because that's just the best, (laughs) (laughs) but I also love the reminder that we as women, and it's not to negate that men don't, but we as women, we typically uh, pour from a relatively empty cup because we're, we're always pouring and we are not pouring back in. So I, I appreciate that reminder for all of us for sure. All right. Your story is impactful and it's going to be hard to make this concise. And I encourage everybody who's listening, I will have all the links to read the book because there's so much more emotion in the book that we, than we could even encapsulate here in the next you know, 30 or 40 minutes. So let's just start by diving into how this journey started. And um, I know it's hard to put a synopsis of the book together, but I know that you've also been interviewed many times. So this, this is not like the first time you've done <laughs> this. It out. Yeah, so so um, give us kind of a, just a background of what, what kind of led you to the work that you do now and how that journey unfolded. Okay. Um, Well, when I was 22 years old, I was living in Los Angeles. I had graduated from college and I ended up getting custody of my then eight-year-old sister, Adrienne. And um, I raised Adrienne all through my 20s. I was her only parent and legal guardian until a month after her 15th birthday, just as she was finishing her first year of high school, she was diagnosed very unexpectedly with stage four liver cancer. And her cancer journey only lasted 147 days. Um, In fact, and I hate this word in this context, the anniversary of her death is actually, at the time of this recording, it's actually next month. Um, And it's been been 19 years, um, which is just incredible to me that it's been that long. Um, uh, So I had a very unusual 20s, as I have found out (laughs) since telling my story. Um, I didn't really think about it very much, but, um, but yeah, I was a parent in my twenties and, um, and when Adrian was diagnosed and then when she died, I mean, I lost the most important person in my life because being her parent was, was the most important thing to me. And she was not only my sister, but she was my child. So. Yeah. And I, you know, as I'm reading your book, I, like I, I told you at the beginning, I feel like I'm part of your family. I mean, there's, it's such a great bond that you all had and I'm sure still have. And, and I just, I loved how involved you were. So let's kind of dive into, you know, you receiving the diagnosis. Did you have any previous experience, exposure to illness, the medical system? What, what did that look like for you at diagnosis? And then wondering what is, what's coming? Um, Actually, I did. So I grew up around doctors and hospitals because our mother was a nurse. And and just to clarify, we were technically half sisters. Um, Adrian's father died before she was born in a car accident. Um, And so, and my mother got, was very surprised when she got pregnant in her forties. And, um, and so, yeah, so I was very comfortable in that setting, but even with that, I was stunned when we got this news. And what happened was I came home on a Wednesday afternoon from work 
I found Adrian curled up in a fetal position um, crying. And this was a kid who never cried. And when I came home from work, she was always sitting at the kitchen table doing her homework because she knew she wasn't allowed to do anything else <laughs> until her homework was done. I was very, a very strict parent. And um, I was really surprised. And so I took her to her pediatrician and he noticed that her abdomen was swollen and it had been that way a couple of days. Um, I was very lucky as a parent because Adrian didn't like skimpy clothes. So I had not known that her stomach was swollen. We were sent to the local hospital ER and based on what she said and the pain she had, they thought there was internal bleeding. Um, just a few weeks prior, she had gone with my boyfriend to Coachella, which is a very large music festival out in the desert, which is sort of my like worst idea of fun ever. <laughs> it's just not my thing. But, but um, my, my boyfriend, John, had complained about his ribs being bruised. So they thought perhaps she had hurt herself at the concert. They were worried about internal bleeding. That was what they expected to find um, when they did a CAT scan. And just to give you um, or your listeners, you know by now, a sense of Adrian's sense of humor and just how we dealt with things as she was being wheeled in for the CAT scan. She said, hey, sissy, watch it be cancer. And I just laughed and she laughed. And, um, and so she gets out of the CAT scan and uh, gets something for the pain. And she's still, it's just the two of us. And the ER doctor came in and he, he wouldn't look at her. And then that's when I knew it was bad. Mm -hmm. And he wouldn't say her name. And he said she has tumors in her liver and lungs. And to this day, the worst, <laughs> worst words I've ever heard in my life. Um, and I, I say your life can change in six hours because from the time I came home from work to the time we heard that news was six hours. I did not go back to work. Adrian did not go back to school in person. Um, two days later, they did a biopsy and I was asked to make major decisions about her treatment. And my head was still spinning. And again, that's with me growing up around that environment and being fairly comfortable in it. Um, a week later, she was doing her first round of chemo. It's so intense. I think it's intense for anybody, but you know, it's, it's also really important that you note that even though you grew up with a mother who was a nurse and you've been around a little bit, you know, a little bit of the jargon, a little bit of the, you know, culture of the healthcare system it was still so overwhelming for you so much so that you did stop working and you were, I mean, it was a 24 seven, you know, taking care, at least from, you know, where I'm at now in the book. And so I'm wondering how you felt navigating a system that you thought you kind of knew. I mean, I think, you know, we, we surface know things, you know, until we right. really get to a different level in them. How was it, navigating that system that didn't seem super foreign to you, but now was coming from a different level? Oh, gosh. Um, it's, it's very frustrating. I think um, because I had been around it, I wasn't afraid to ask questions. In fact, we found out from one of our favorite nurses at Children's Hospital Los Angeles that everyone loved Adrian and no one liked me. <laughs> which was totally fine. You know, it's just, you don't have to like me, like her. That's great. Don't like me. Um, and because I asked too many questions and I kept this medical diary and kept track of everything. But, but even with all my questions and even with keeping track, I still didn't ask the right questions. You know, I still didn't know that a clinical trial would have been the only shot she really had. I mean, I know so much more now and that chemo we gave her was a hundred percent useless. 
Um, I didn't know it was palliative care. No one actually said those words to me ever. Um, and, you know, I did figure out very quickly that the oncologist that we were assigned, because that's how they did it, um, did not have enough experience. And so I fought really hard to get her transferred to UCLA to a doctor who saw her type of cancer every day, which was considered a quote unquote adult cancer, not a pediatric cancer. Um, but even with that, I fought the insurance. Um, I did not have health insurance for, for myself, but I did for her, luckily. And I fought the insurance six weeks. And we didn't have that kind of time, as it turned out. Um, so it's a frustrating experience. I heard one of your other guests who's currently battling cancer say that she always has someone with her at appointments. You have to have someone with you. You have to have someone um, you do have to keep track. You do have to keep notes. And I heard someone once talking about my journey and they said, you know, you were, you were a nurse, you were a secretary, you were a chauffeur, you were a maid, you were a cook, you were a teacher. Um, and I was, I was all of those things. And, um, you know, it's, you become, you become that if you are the primary caregiver. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you, you're such a, you're such an eloquent and prolific writer. And it really takes us through. I mean, I really, like I said, I feel it before you even came on. I'm like, I feel like I've been in this. I've been in this with you. I mean, in the trenches of it. So what do you feel as you look back and as you reflect, because you are very detailed. I mean, I could tell you're a note taker. I'm the, I was also the one with my dad that nobody liked and my, my, <laughs> sure my picture Yay! was all over the charts. Yeah. So I, I, I feel like we connect there. Um, and it's just, it's so adorable as you describe, you know, the difference in personality between you and your, your sister. And it's just, it's really, it's really cute. Um, I, I wonder how, you know, as you reflect back on the journey, mm -hmm. is there something you think you would have done differently, asked questions differently? And for somebody who doesn't know to know that, where would they begin? So I know you also kind of consider yourself many, many, you have many roles, but um, an advocate as well. And mm -hmm. so what looking back is sort of your assessment of what could have been done differently from the, from the caregiver standpoint, and also maybe some of the improvements that we should make in the healthcare system? Well, I look back at that first sort of Q&A that we had with her oncologist. And, and, and you know, if you look, you, I was asking a lot of very specific questions that a friend of ours had told us to ask who was a scientist. But I didn't ask what the goal of treatment was. Is the goal of treatment to cure her or is it to, you know, give, extend her life? Um, if I had known it was to extend her life and somewhat palliative care, we might have made, made you know, different decisions. Um, uh, you know, if you have advanced cancer of any kind, you should always ask about clinical trials first. And if you have a doctor who isn't interested, or perhaps you live in a, you know, um, outside of a major city and that doctor just isn't familiar, then you know, you might need to do your own research about clinical trials. I can't count how many cancer survivors I know who ended up in a clinical trial because they were proactive and it saved their lives. I mean, I just, I just know so many. I, I know one patient in particular who said she wasted two years doing chemo and did absolutely nothing except hurt her. And then she was told to go home and die and she found a clinical trial that saved her life. Wow. And um, so I, that's, that's, and that sort of leads to your next question. It's um, our healthcare system is very fragmented. Uh, it's just, it's just a hot mess. Um, and 
there's no consistency, even within the same hospital. Um, I've experienced this personally and I was just stunned by it. I was um, seeing a doctor specialist and that specialist had not seen a scan. And I'm like, wait, why do I have a copy of the scan? It was, you know, emailed me to me as part of my patient record, but this doctor hadn't seen it. And mind you, the doctor who had done the scan was one floor below, same hospital, same system, same insurance, same network. And because they use different EHR systems, <laughs> that, that doctor had no access to it. And that's happened to me now multiple times. And, you know, and I don't think there are any easy answers. I, I really, really don't. It's, it's so important, the things that you've pointed out. Um, I remember back to my dad's journey and I, after he passed, I remember one of my friends who was an oncologist telling me, well, I kind of knew that this was going to be, you know, that this is, this is how this was going to end up. And I'm thinking, you know, and I very much like you, like it would have been, you know, nobody, nobody ever talked to us either about palliative, like what, you know, and I don't necessarily know if we would have asked prognosis at the beginning, if anybody would have come forth with their opinion on it and said, you know, we don't think despite treatment that this is going to be something that's going to resolve and or, or lead to a lengthened life. But I think that there is some room there for some, some truth telling so people yeah. can make those decisions like you mentioned, because we also did all of the things. We did all of the treatments, all the chemos that didn't work but hurt him and affected his quality of life. And and we weren't given the option of not making those decisions because we, exactly. we so I completely understand. And the fragmentation of the medical records, it's 100% true, happens everywhere, even within the same building, even within the same <laughs> systems. It's, yeah. And so, yeah, keep staying organized with your medical records is not, is not a luxury. It's not, it's a necessity. It's, it's, I mean, I tell people to prepare for their appointments as if they're preparing for a job interview or if they're preparing, you know, it's that important because the likelihood that you go in there and the new doctor has what they need to make decisions based on your care, it, it's low. It's a low likelihood they have everything they need. So yeah. really important points. Let's talk a little bit about Adrian. She just seems like the sweetest soul that, and you, you mentioned this, and this may not be the exact wording, but that she in her, in, in the process of her growing closer to that transition from her earthly form and body that she taught you how to live. And so I'm just uh, wondering how, if you could expand on that. Well, I feel like Adrian made a bucket list. She never used those words, but I feel like that's what she did without actually saying it. Um, I think she knew fairly, very early on that she was going to die from, from this cancer. Um, it didn't stop her from, from fighting, but she knew it. Um, and she also felt like she brought the cancer on herself. I disagree with this, but in Chinese medicine, our liver is the organ of anger. And, um, and she really believed that she had caused the cancer because she had so much um, unresolved anger toward our mother for abandoning her, for being a drug addict, for being a screwed up, and to her father for dying early and she never got to know him. And, um, and one of the things she did in addition to an incredible bucket list, which I'll come back to perhaps, is she actually let go of all the anger she consciously worked through all of the anger and forgave them. And, um, and that's really powerful. 
And I don't think that's an easy thing to do. And I think it's a pretty remarkable thing for a 15 year old to be able to do. Um, and I just, I don't, I'm gonna tear up. I just don't know anyone else who would have handled cancer as well as she did. And I'm not saying she didn't have moments of anger or frustration or sadness or depression, but she never felt sorry for herself. And all the time in my head, I never said it out loud, but all the time I was like, why her, why her, why her, why, why, why? And she never said, why me? You know, she never ever did. She had so much courage and grace and dignity and most importantly, humor. You know, we really, um, there was a lot of humor. So. That's really very powerful. And I, I, and even though I'm not done with the book, I see that and, and that she doesn't seem like a complainer. She doesn't seem like somebody who would have asked why me. She really attempted to live every moment from your wording. And, and it is so eloquent that, um, I mean, I feel like she's teaching me how to live and, you know, this is how many years later and it's, and, you know, so there's a few moments that really kind of stand out to me of just how, you know, genuinely connected her soul was to life. And, you know, when you, it, it was a Dave Navarro, you were going to see like Dave Navarro at a, a location and she wasn't feeling well, but it was like, she was going to do it anyways. And so can you tell, tell us a little bit just about, and maybe, you know, in addition to that, some other instances where she really sought to live out those, those last days. Yeah. So after she was diagnosed, like I said, I think she made this bucket list without calling it that. Um, but she had found out that her favorite musician, Dave Navarro, Jane's addiction was performing on the tonight show. Well, we lived in Burbank, California, where the Tonight Show was filmed. I mean, it was right down the street from our house. And so um, I think it was her boyfriend, it's in the book, who said, we're going to milk this cancer thing for everything it's worth or whatever. And I had nothing to do with this. Between the two of them, they ended up getting eight tickets to the Tonight Show. And, but she had a round of chemo, her second round of chemo, right before. And she went in on that Friday and she said, look, people. <laughs> because the first time she was in the hospital for two weeks. So she went in for the second round of chemo and she said, I have to be out of here <laughs> on Monday. Like I have to, because on Tuesday I'm going to the tonight show. Like I have to be gone. Like I am going to meet Dave Navarro. And, you know, we had sort of charted it that as far as her blood counts and her immune system, it would be okay for her to be in public. But we were of course worried about her fatigue and just overall how she was feeling um, but she was determined, you know, and sure enough, that second round of chemo, you know, was on, on schedule nothing went wrong. Um, and she got out of the hospital and we went to the tonight show and, um, and she met Jay Leno, nicest man. Oh God, he's amazing. And, and he asked her, he said, I, I heard that you really like uh, Dave Navarro. And, and so he brought Dave Navarro out and she got to meet him and, um, you know, it's funny, she had told me that Dave Navarro who knew who she was, um, because at that time, this was, again, this is 2001, and this was back like in the old style chat rooms, and Dave Navarro had a fan group that he would occasionally drop in on and say hello. He did know who she was, and she said, I told you, you remembered Adrian, the girl that got sick. <laughs> so cool. You know, she just lit up, and she was so excited, and, you know, um, you know, and just in that moment, like, the, there was no more worries about cancer mm -hmm. in that moment. Um, and so there were big days like that. That was day 35. And there were smaller days like um, we finally went to a restaurant that she'd always wanted to go to, Krabby Bob's. And we 
figured out how to eat crab legs, which we had never done before. And we went to medieval times, uh, which was something she'd always wanted to do, but we couldn't afford to do because it cost hundreds and hundreds of dollars. But we finally were able to do it. Um, and she just had the best time in the world. Um, and then she actually met Dave Navarro again on her Make-A-Wish Day. Um, so yeah, she just made stuff happen. The only thing that didn't happen, actually, I'm not going to tell you because you don't know yet. So I'm going <laughs> <laughs> oh, to have to do a sequel now because now everybody's listening is going to want to know. Uh, you're just going to have to read the book too, listeners and watchers. Yes. <laughs> you're That's gonna have right. To just got to read the book. Yeah. But there was only one thing that she really wanted to happen that didn't happen. Um, they just, they called too late basically, but they did call. I just, I just love her shining light. It's like she shines right through the pages of the book and like, we all just want to know her. And, but we, but I also so appreciate your, your taking her through that journey. I mean, you just being by her side every step of the way. It's just amazing. Now I know you, you know, I already feel very connected to you just in a lot of ways, but I, I also know that after she passed, you started some foundations and some uh, you're very active. Um, I feel like I, you know, that, that type A is, <laughs> when we share that. so, oh, yeah. um, you know, funneling the, the grief, the memory, the legacy into, into larger things that will benefit, you know, a larger population of people and will move forward in a way that will remember Adrian. Can you talk to us a little bit about, and I, I'm at the point now in the book where she puts on the blue fairy wings. So oh. I, I love that. That's literally like the, the last page that I've read so far. Um, so talk to us a little bit about blue fairy and then cancer you. Okay. Um, that's so funny because I actually had someone write me an email and said that they were disappointed that the book, the photos weren't in color because they wanted to see the blue hair oh, yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the wings and everything. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, um, you know, I'm glad you said the word funnel because a year after Adrian died, I was really looking for a way to, I use the word channel my grief um, because I was suicidal. Um, I just, I, I didn't know how to move forward and I just wanted to volunteer. That was my thought. And I called what, what was the largest liver disease nonprofit in the country. And I never named them because we work with them now, but, and I, you know, they didn't have anything about liver cancer on their website. I found out later that was an actual edict in the organization. They did not want to deal with it, but I wanted to volunteer. I talked, talked to the top, top person in the LA chapter and I said, look, you don't have to pay me. I'll create a program for you. My background's writing and marketing. I could do this. You know, I'm a great teacher. And I was actually a teacher when uh, Adrian was diagnosed. And, and they didn't want anything to do with it. And after I got the phone with them, I did another search. And I made sure there was not a single organization in the country doing anything for patients and caregivers dealing with primary liver cancer, also known as hepatocellular carcinoma. And there's a great quote by Lily Tomlin that goes something like this. Um, uh, I said, somebody should do something about that. And then I realized that somebody was me. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what it was. I was 30 years old and the things I had cared about in my twenties didn't matter anymore. And it's not like when I grew up, I said, I wanted to start a nonprofit, <laughs> but suddenly it was like, nobody's doing anything about this. And I knew that liver cancer was going to continue to rise in this country. And in fact, it is still one of the only cancers on the rise in the U.S. So I did, I started Blue Fairy. Um, it's going to be now 18 years coming up here in a couple months, um, the Adrian Wilson Liver Cancer Association. Um, and the funny thing about the name of the organization was 
I, I of course wanted Adrian's name in it to remember her. And I wanted liver cancer so people knew what we did. But I felt like something was missing from a marketing point of view and I couldn't figure out what it was. And so I actually sent an email to my closest friends at the time. Um, all of these people were around when Adrian was diagnosed. They, they're all in the book, their names have been changed, but they're there. And every single one of those people came back with some version of Blue Fairy. Because as you now know, her favorite color was blue. She had blue hair when she was diagnosed. <laughs> she got a blue wig later on and she ended up buying those blue butterfly wings. And when she put on her blue wig and had those blue butterfly wings, I mean, she just looked like a fairy and we would call her our blue fairy. And for some reason, it was like right in front of my face and I couldn't see it. And I was like, that's it. Like that, that's it. And it's hard to tell with our, our logo, but if you look really closely at a really high resolution, the, the face of the blue fairy is actually Adrian's face. Oh, wow. It's modeled after her. And um, so that's my nonprofit. It focuses very specifically on that cancer. Um, but what I noticed over the years is that even when patients and caregivers have the best possible information, so you know you're giving great information, it's accurate, it's up to date, 95% of the time they didn't know what to do with it. And I'm a certified coach. I was coaching patients and caregivers pro bono for years. I still do. And, you know, they didn't know what to do next. It's like, okay, well, I've got the information. Now what? Mm -hmm. What are the next steps? And I felt like there was this huge hole missing. And then I started getting recruited on LinkedIn to be a cancer coach from other companies. And I knew the need was there. And, but I didn't want to charge people during the worst time in their lives. So through a series of a couple of more events, I ended up starting my for-profit social benefit health tech startup, Cancer University, or as we like to call it, Cancer U. And so Cancer U is an online membership platform. It's for patients and caregivers. They are the end users. It's to educate, empower, and engage them to become advocates for their cancer care, to improve outcomes, but also reduce costs. So our actual customers who pay for the platform are not the patients and caregivers. They are the pharmaceutical companies, the providers, um, health insurance companies. And so, you know, we did that business model on purpose because we don't want patients and caregivers to have to pay for it. Uh, and that, that's actually a very new venture. It's uh, two years old, and we are just now raising a seed round of funding. Up until now, we've entirely bootstrapped the business. But... Um, yeah, so this, this is my life now. This is, and this is what I'm supposed to do. And I completely love all of what you're doing. And I, I understand what it feels like to just be in that seat of like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing with this. And, um, you know, I, I love the concept. Uh, well, I love the blue fairy, obviously period, but I think that's just the coolest thing. But, um, the cancer you is, it's just so needed because, it's, it's difficult to get a diagnosis of anything of, a, you know, an acute infection of a, anything. Cause you know, we, we take our health for granted, but to get a diagnosis of cancer takes it to another level. And we're sort of left just on our own trying to figure stuff out and going, you know, it, it's not like we, we can just go to, you know, it's like we go get a review of, you know, a book on Amazon and we look to see what others are doing. It's not that easy to just start Googling and reviewing things and trying to sift through what's accurate, what's not accurate. It's just really difficult. And so I love that you're putting this together. And I love that the payers of it are within the medical industry. And, um, and I, I think that that is, is wonderful because I too understand that 
the patients and the caregivers are already so overburdened, as you know from your experience, and I do, they're already so overburdened. And so another thing to have to worry about, pay for, you know, be financially burdened with is, is not necessarily the best approach. Although you certainly could have gone that route. And I'm sure <laughs> it still would have been valuable for the money, but it's just so great that you have taken a different approach with that. So what kind of, um, how does it work? What kind of information can people find? Do they also connect with each other? How does it kind of logistically work? So we use courses to educate, but again, that's not enough community to engage and coaching to empower. Um, and we are, um, we have competitors, but we are the only holistic university style platform that has all three of those aspects. And I feel like all three are really needed. It's not enough just to do one and not the other two. Um, so it's designed just like an online university. So when you join Cancer U, you start with orientation. Um, and if you've been to college, you know what I'm talking about. So you start with our flagship course, the Proactive Patient, and it's a broad overview to the world of cancer. And that one course alone will put you so far ahead I mean, I promise just that one course, then you go on to take your major courses, which is, are you or your loved ones actual cancer? And then we also have our core courses, which we highly recommend no matter what cancer type, whether it's the nutrition course or the exercise course or the palliative care course or um, things about legal documents, you know, we highly recommend the core courses. And then we have our electives and we actually create our electives with our B2B partners and with our members. So we actually have an initiative right now called Share Your Story, where we're inviting uh, patients, current patients, caregivers, um, survivors, and providers to share their cancer story, however they um, interpret that to me, you know, to me. And those are electives inside of Cancer U. Um, and you can go into the library and sort. You can sort by the uh, content type. You can sort by the cancer type. Um, and you actually get credit just like you would in college. So you really set it up so it has a little bit of a gamification component. Um, there's a community um, inside Cancer U as well, so you can interact with other members. We really encourage people not to um, talk too much about their health information on Facebook. Um, we really highly discourage it. It's better to you know, be in some type of community that you know that is HIPAA compliant and you're not giving your information away. And, um, and then we have coaching calls um, where we actually coach people. So the, the whole idea is to really give people the skills they need to learn how to advocate for themselves. Because I feel like 5% is what I've found over the years that people are natural advocates, but it is a learned skill. People can learn how to do it. Mm, yeah, I, had, I don't know that I've known a number, but that sounds about right in my experience. And I also agree that, you know, as with anything, and there's a lot of fields that I know nothing about that I, I wouldn't necessarily know how to advocate. I mean, I would probably maybe figure it out relatively quickly, but I would feel pretty, pretty green at the beginning of that. So I, I appreciate the time and effort and work that you put into something that's so, so necessary. As we wrap up, um, what is what if anything did I miss asking? What would you like people to know either about the work that you're doing and or about Adrian? And then where can people find you in the book? Oh goodness, um, uh, I guess about Adrian that she was. Um, this is actually the the epitaph on her uh, gravestone. This is what it says: uh, "Young spirit, old soul." And she really was. And I think that's why so many people connect 
with her. Um, you know, she, she did yoga before yoga was cool. <laughs> yeah, she, she did yoga the, the summer before she got sick. And it was her idea. Again, it wasn't, wasn't my idea. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I know everybody thinks their kid is special. Um, but it's a little bit different when other people tell you your kid is special. Mm -hmm. And she was, yeah. Um, and I like to think that she would be very proud of what I'm doing right now and encourage me to do it. Um, and to, to get the book, if you go to betteroffbald.com, all of your online retailers are listed there. Um, to learn more about Blue Fairy, go to bluefairyfaery.org. Um, and for Cancer University, if you go to cancer.university, so not .com, but actually .university, um, we are going to give your listeners a free lifetime membership to Cancer U. So if your, you or your loved one has been newly diagnosed with cancer, um, you can get your free membership. Go to cancer.university, click apply now, fill out the application, but at the very bottom where you would pay, you just say, I have a coupon code, and put in your coupon code, which I just wrote down, here it is, <laughs> TRUE WELLNESS, but all one word, all caps. So just put in TRUE WELLNESS, all one word, all, all caps, and that will waive um, any fees and you'll have a lifetime membership. Okay, now I'm gonna cry. Um, that's just amazing. <laughs> it's just amazing. Um, I see her as an old soul, just in the words and how you describe her. And I would have no doubt that she would be so eternally proud of what you're doing in her memory and in her legacy. There is just no question in my mind. I mean, you've created a university. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. You, you really honestly could not have done a better job in making sure that those who are affected by cancer, like your sister and like your whole family yeah. have somewhere to go, have people to advocate for them and to speak for them and then to empower them to speak for themselves. Because I think that's a, a key piece in the coaching part is yeah. you don't always, if I'm not there with you, you have, you are empowered to, to ask exactly. the questions and to advocate yeah. for yourself. So thank you so much for all you do. I I'm just so grateful that I've stumbled across your work and so grateful for this time with you. Oh, thank you so much for Cla Claudia for having me on. It's been great. An extra special thank you to Andrea for sharing this time with us today, her insights, her journey with her sister, what she's learned, how she's moving forward, and her amazing gift to our listeners for access to Cancer U. Such a generous soul. I'm so grateful for you, Andrea. Thank you again. I'll see you here again next time.